December 3, 2020, it's the for Pedro Show.
Live from Pedro Show. Happy Thursday, first Thursday of December, last month of the year. Uh, started with John Coltrane, with Thelonious Monk during his nine months. Very important nine months for him. That's when he quit the shit. <laughs> anyway, off minor, the fifth take. And then the single version of Our World from the Individuals. Uh, people, Brother Matt's still at the Love Grotto on the Pleasure Point a couple miles south because we're still in quarantino mode. But I am not totally man alone because of those software engineers in Estonia with their incredible Skype invention. I got Mr. Glenn Morrow with me. Glenn, welcome aboard. Nice to be here, Mike. And uh, where are you talking to me from? Manhattan? I am I am in Manhattan now. Okay. And, uh, do you happen to see the show Russian Doll? No. There's the final, uh, I'm actually speaking, uh, <laughs> anybody that saw that show, the final finale, they play Love uh, Forever Changes or You Set the Scene, whatever that song is called. You Set the Scene, right? Yeah. And, uh, and there's like this parade into a tunnel, and that's where I live. <laughs> Forever Changes, that was the love yeah, kind of opera, right? I, I, me and Raymond mm. Pettibone got to see him redo that with the Baby Lemonade people. Right, right. At the House of Bouge. <laughs> they tore it down <laughs> for condos in West Hollywood. <laughs> um, you know, such such as things. But that's a trip. So circumstance yeah. of that. Okay. Uh, can we go back? I mean, as far as you can remember, it's a lot from Pedro show. So there's no hard questions. There's no wrong answers. But... Uh, What's your earliest musical recollection? Ah, uh, well, you know, maybe something like Frere Jaca or uh, Jesus Loves Me, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's hearing somebody I, I, sing you songs, like your ma or something? Yeah, yeah, you know, nursery school, uh, something like that. And where was um, it? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in uh, very sort of all over New Jersey, and I actually, I spent the last thirty-two years in Hoboken, more or less. Right, uh, right. Thir thir yeah, thirty-two. Um, but you know, I, I, I was thinking about this because this has been sort of, and you know, most art, most people my age, they talk about seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and then they wanted to start a band, but. I, I can't quite remember if I saw that original show, but certainly, you know, it was all in the air and everybody, the girls in the neighborhood had the Beatle cards and were trying to decide which Beatle they liked best. And, <laughs> but my dad was really not into them. He had been like a big band guy and he kind of wasn't playing a whole lot of music in the house. He had his records, all his 78s up in the top of the closet. But I remember we burned Beatle cards on the... <laughs> <laughs> on the grill, you know, out back. And you know, it took a while, but slowly, like, you know, with the Penny Lane uh, trumpet, I heard that across a yard, or, you know, the refrain of She Loves You and um, uh, All You Need Is Love, you know, that kind of weird haunted thing from an earlier Beatles song. And I eventually, you know, bought the bought the Kool-Aid. <laughs> chugged it, started chugging it. Look, I'm yeah. curious. The Turned my bathroom into a yellow submarine, you know, and literally painted it yellow and I'm curious, the pad you grew up, from the movie. Did, the, did the pad that you grew up have musical instruments in it? My sister played a lot of, uh, was really good at classical piano, so I was very, you know, kind of intimidated to go near the keyboard. Um, and there was a nylon string acoustic, 
and I learned uh, the the Newark Evening News had uh, uh, like a, a a weekly you know weekly music tab or something. And I learned "Helpless" by Neil Young and "All Right Now." And I think there were like you know it's about four chords between the two songs. You're talking. Fr- you're talking free. Almost you know immediately, or you know I never before I really learned to play guitar I was you know pretty naive. Uh, musician and fortunately you know came sort of came up in the in the diy area era when you know that was sort of uh you're kind of allowed to stumble so you're talking free uh if you're talking all right now by free that's right yeah i think it was that's got a great dna yeah but there's a great coda with andy fraser with that bass lick yeah, I, I learned a pretty naive version of it, but uh, yeah, yeah, the front, the front. In fact, I think the bass lays out the whole tune until the until the chorus comes. You know, I always think that's a, when I realized bands could do that. Just the bass, you know, the the, the discipline for the bass player to lay out the, like, <laughs> large chunks of a song. I mean, how, as a bass player, it, would, were you able to do that? Like, well, like, yeah, because if, well, here's the way I look at it, Glenn. If you're looking at a gig as kind of a theater, look at the drama you're building up. Oh, I know. You know what I mean? And finally, he comes in there with a beep, 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 doo, doo, beep, beep. Andy Frazier. He passed away in Telecla, to, to Mecula near here. Well, about 50, 60 miles a couple of years ago. But I thought that was just such a bitch. And it was Econo, too. Yeah, I'm gonna to have to listen to that again, and and because you know I can hear it, yeah, because it just is so powerful when it when it comes in, right? Right, and then at the end it's and I always use that for my sound check song. I'm curious Damn. about I'm curious about school. Uh, were you in the choir or the marching band or shit like that? No, nah, I ran cross country. Uh, but you know, it was the early '70s, so music was just sort of like the thing, you know. Sure, sure, but uh, not not institutionalized yeah. school music. Yeah, there's a song on my new album called uh, uh, "GB and Co," and that was it's a song about the the band that was in my high school, which was Genghis Bills and Company, <laughs> and uh, you know, kind of like a Crosby, Stills, Nash. Yeah. You know, they they were like their hippie names. <laughs> and uh, and they were like you know just super cool older guys and you know saw them kind of transition. What 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 was the first record you bought with your own money? Uh, I just wrote something for Howard Wolfing uh, for some somebody you know there are two records I remember Magical Mystery Tour, uh, and but then I bought at a cutout and I bought everything playing by the Love and Spoonful. All right. uh, I just wrote up something about that for a, uh, a website. You know, you know, when you're a kid, you ain't got a lot of money. So where you, you spend right. it? Yeah. <laughs> what about the first gig? And you end up, yeah, you end up with all these like you know records like what I said like unpopular, popular records. <laughs> yeah, cut out stuff on <laughs> things like the Velvet Underground and Big sure. Star and Raw Power by the Stooges. You know, they were in the cutout bins. Yeah, because people didn't want to. The, the average yeah. dude didn't want it, but. Yeah, and but then ironically, you know, people like R.E.M., you know, built careers out of those kind of records, you know. Yeah, and show, shows to go you about fucking humans, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what about the first gig? What was the first gig you saw, Glenn? First gig I saw uh, was 
the Allman Brothers with Dwayne. And it was like about three or, four, three or four days before the Live at the Fillmore album was recorded. And I actually touched the road case as, it, as they pushed it, you know, out of the, I guess they were pushing it into the, into the truck to, <laughs> to do the Fillmore. And, you know, the, that stenciled lettering, you know, if you look sure, at that sure. live, at the, like live at the uh, Fillmore. And I remember I reached out and touched it. I, you know, I just wanted, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was the Allman Brothers band and Edgar Winter's White Trash. Oh, yeah, Tobacco and, Road. The headliner, the headliner was Buddy Miles. Wow, <laughs> Electric Flag? Yeah. Uh, no, just Buddy Miles Express. Okay, okay. Look, I'm going to play a dance with my 80 wives. we 
set you on the line Calling out through space and time From a phone booth in the rain On the astral plane Listen closely, you can hear the roar Of all those who came before All the names of streets and places Rising from those yellow pages For Pedro Show, the individuals with Dancing with My 80 Wives, Paul Motion with uh, Petra singing, I Remember You, old standard, Quack Quack from Leeds, Milton Keynes Bowl Cut. <laughs> That's an image. Uh, Marina out of Barcelona, this is an uh, Italian Greek duet, beer poetry. 38 Tigers, Seed Alligators. Here comes Mr. Mostel from Bomas Prendon. 
Loose Lips from Johnny Mark and the Ricks, which had uh, Frankie Arnley from the Suburban Lawns before we lost him a couple years ago. Massive stroke. Dose with Down in the Dumps. Petra Hayden, Heinz Baked Beans. You know something about this. Petra did Who Sell Out and You're Bar None. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here, people, because we're not into the labels. Well, you have something to do with that, too. <laughs> I think I had a little bit. And your, your seven-track Fostex, right? right? Well, it was an eight-track, but I put the, the, the Who record on the eight. Yeah, so oh, she, okay. had, she had seven to deal with. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking one track was broken. No, no. One like, had the actual record. Sense, yeah. One had the record. in Because she had never heard this before. It <laughs> right, was right. actually a task game, a, a TAC thing. Uh, I think it's called a 488. And, and I said, look, I'll put this all on track eight, and you fill up the other seven. Just sing along. Because, you know, she grew up jazz with her daddy. Whoa, I think I lost her. No, it's probably your internet connection. Okay. Or lack of connection. Do it a mom. And anyway, back 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 to uh, Petra with Heinz hey, Baked you know Beans. Yellow Pages, or Yellowed, past tense, why? Glenn Morrow's Cry for Help, which is uh, contemporary, right? But, but, but we're, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves because we got to go back. Like, I want to know, during high school, did you have the basement band, a bedroom band, garage band thing with some buddies? Not really, you know? I would, like, it, I was... Uh... <laughs> More just like had the imaginary band in my head, you know, would like hang out in my room and sort of, I actually created a a fake band and I made an album in art class, like a, a gatefold band called Basement that was like me and some of my friends. I think like once we just kind of banged on some instruments in the basement and I made a tape of it and I just kind of, you know, pretended it was like this real band. And uh, it was kind of, it was kind of strange to, you know, have this. I made a full watercolor painting of an album in art class, uh, but without a real, you know, record in it. And it wasn't really until I got to college that, you know, I sort of was like, all right, well, I, you know, I can't just like jump around in my room and pretend I'm in a band. This is too pathetic. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, baby college, set, started, uh, baby you know, steps at first, you know, and, and, and writing songs. Uh, well, well, you know, tell me about your first real band. Uh, well, it was like a, I was going to University of Rhode Island, and uh, we were called the Jaded Lovers because I think we were uh, trying to, uh, you know, I, I, I had had sort of caught a whip of Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers at that point, and like the first Ramones album, and um, and we actually we actually covered because I was hanging out at CBGBs and saw Talking Heads before they ever had any records out. And we did a cover of uh, Love Goes to a Building on Fire. Ah, and they were RISD, though, original, right? Yeah, they were RISD, yeah. I, um, and I was trying to actually be their booking agent. And I went up to RISD, and the the guy that was in charge, was like some professor was in charge of booking the entertainment. And you know, I had all these clips of them with, like, Warhol. And I thought it was, like, a no-brainer. And he just looked at the stuff and goes, no, nah, I don't think so. I'm like... <laughs> Come on, you had the Paul Winter consort, and he's like, that was a mistake. <laughs> oh man, tell me about the first Jaded Lovers gig. Uh, we played in like a, a uh, some kind of co you know common room in the dorm, and yeah, I know we played. Uh, I think we played Love Goes to a Building on Fire, and we played I Saw the Light by Todd Rundgren, and uh, uh, so we we had about half originals and half. Uh, we did some blood on the tracks tunes. Um, because you told me when you were on that nylon guitar 
when you were a kid, you st said you started writing songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess the first songs I wrote, I just, you know, I would just like write some lyrics down and, and sing them. You know, I couldn't really play guitar and sing at the same time. Yeah, like just a couple really rudimentary things, you know, you bang on the on the, the E string, you know, lonely people without a friend, lonely people, da, 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 you know, that kind of a... <laughs> so this gig, <laughs> this gig at the... Eleanor Rigby song, kind of. This gig at the school, though, it was a success? Yeah, and I remember, you know, I guess I just got that incredible adrenaline rush. You know, it was a success for me, and I went outside, and I was just like, wow, this is what I want to do. You know, it was like clear, the clearest thing I'd ever felt up to that point, you know. It was probably just the adrenaline. Sure, sure, sure. You know. How, how, it, how long like, did they last? This is it, you know. How, how long did Jaded uh, Lovers last? Uh, well, I, I, I left there and uh, transferred to uh, NYU. So we were only together, you know, maybe one one school year. And I, I you know, we did like <laughs> two or three. Maybe two gigs. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I went back there and we did another gig. We did a little recording, uh, you know, of all the originals that we had. And uh, there was another guy that was a really good guitar player, and I would just sing along to like you know his chord progressions. And they, you know, they were far more sophisticated than anything I, I was coming up with. But you know, he was kind of like then I was getting more into the you know the the CBGBs thing, and I'd bring these you know simple songs up. He'd be like, ah, it's not much to that, you know. It's just a couple of chords. And... Oh, yeah, that was a terrible thing about the, those days. <laughs> terrible thing about those. Fucking, you said three chords, TBI's one chord. <laughs> so is Lyman the Coconut, Harry Nielsen. It doesn't always have, yeah, 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 all kinds of stuff. Uh, uh, at NYU, NYU, did you make another band? At that point, I, I, well, as I told you, I was trying to book Talking Heads and this other band called Orchestra Luna, who had been on Epic, who were out of Boston. And I sort of hooked up with this, <clears throat> excuse me, with this other guy who had started something called Farkas Productions. And he had three bands. And one of those bands was Tin Can, which, which boasted uh, having a former member of the Velvet Underground in it, which was Rob Norris. And Rob had played with like the Doug Yule version of the sure. Velvet Underground. And I think more, he played with Maureen a little bit as well. Um, and they went and toured Europe at the same time. Lou was Lou Reed was like you know doing his first tour of Europe, so kind of like a <laughs> unfriendly rivalry, I think, to say the least. Yeah, John Cale um, had vintage violence. Yeah, but but anyway, so for the man and the drummer was Frank Giannini. And I asked them if they would back me up to write some songs. And next thing I know, the, their guitar player was quitting because he was the one that wrote the songs in Tin Can. And they're like, we want to start a band with you. And eventually we found Richard Barone uh, in, uh, in Brooklyn, who was living with the Laughing Dogs, who were one of the bands on uh, uh, that original live CBGB's record. And they, they were the backup band for the Monkees. And Richard had met them in uh, Florida when they were they were the monkeys backup band basically <laughs> and 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 then he hitched a ride with them back to new york where we uh met up with them th through the, through a village voice ad and it just you know we had tried out so many people that had gotten really it was really hard oh yeah you know up to that point i had still, I was still playing the nylon string guitar and rob just like threw an electric guitar in my hands and said here's a pick you know just do it 
<laughs> like thrown into the deep end of, of electricity. <laughs> and, and he showed me all the bar chords and uh, learning by doing know, how, how to play uh, Be My Baby, but also, uh, you know, what goes on. And yeah, we played a lot of uh, Velvet's tunes. Obviously, he knew, he knew those. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, I'm going to have to, we're going to continue because we're at the end of the first hour. December Whoa. 3rd, 2020 edition of Pedro Show special guest, Glenn Morrow. Hold tight for hour two. December 3, 2020, it's the second hour of the Watt for Pedro Show. Walk by your house 
slip out the back door Run down the block Somehow I have to tell you I, I just want to talk Do you ever walk by my
stuck into this life Chains around the neck It could get dirty, but I got a clean change of clothes And all I've worked on Is trying to forget it all
from Pedro Show. Start off the second hour with Walk By Your House. Individuals. Sam Bennett with used to, used to ride that train. Egoshibashi, Laptop Blues. Jim O'Rourke probably knows about that. Blackfires Bridge Part 2 from German Noted Youth. Teenage Lifetime from Papier T. And Sweet Judy Blue Eyes. Rage to Live. Glenn, you there? I'm here. Okay. <laughs> it got really quiet. So that was a killer set. Well, these cats, uh, this was the, the individuals. Uh, the, the Sweet Judy Blue Eyes was actually... Uh, well, that, no, that was... Ra- after. That's Rage, Rage to, to Live. Live. But the, yeah. uh, no, what, uh, what you were relating oh, to with me. Rob and Frank. Yeah, sure. That was actually a band called A. Oh, and okay, A. We were the first band... Yeah, we were the first band to ever play Maxwell's. Um, we played their... Quite a bit. We played. Uh, we actually we were on a bill once with uh, the the headliner was Richard Hell and the Voidoids. We were in the middle, and the opening act was the Misfits. All right, there's Around some New Jersey. That bullet single. Yeah, that's some New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's right. A turns into the individuals, right? Couple of members. Uh, a A basically turned into the Bongos. And oh, I yeah, three of them, right, right, three yeah, of them. three of them went off to the bongos and added uh, James Mastro, and I ha- I was sort of, you know, left to, to scramble. Okay, okay. Put a new band together, which, uh, and actually, I, the Laughing Dogs Loft was a guy living there. The lo- Laughing Dogs disappeared, but the, the Richard was still in the loft, and then he, he was living with me, and then I wasn't in the apartment anymore, and the bongos had that apartment, and John Clett, who actually got signed, had a, had a record out on Epic called The Hawaiian Pups, and uh, is a, a very talented uh, engineer and actually works. Uh, I think he's still doing this. He goes around to different studios and kind of, you know, makes sure all the gear is working, you know, tunes up kind of like a, a studio tuner, you know? Right, right. Now, now uh, it was kind of the house band for Maxwell's, right? I think... Ira was the Booker man then, right? Ira Kaplan, yeah. Eventually, I, actually, I was the first person to book it, and then 
I moved into New York after a while and Ira, I guess Steve did it. Well, actually Ira was a sound man. I don't know if he actually booked the club. I well, yeah, he booked, booked he booked the Minuteman. I know that. Oh yeah. Okay. I know he, he booked stuff in, uh, in music for dozens at folk city. Well, so we played Min- combo things where he would bring, maybe you would have played both. Well, Minuteman played our first Manhattan gig by herself was Folk City West. There you go. Remember, there was two Folk Cities. They started this other thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was the day after we opened up for Black Flag at Great Gildersleeves. Remember that, Pat? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But but A was really important because it started to build the Hoboken scene, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was working at New York Rocker at the time. Andy Schwartz. Andy Schwartz. Good guy. And, yeah, and Ira, Ira Kaplan was there as well. And right. So I, I kind of use those connections to bring people over to play Maxwell's, like uh, the Necessaries and the DBs and the Flesh Tones and uh, Nervous Rex. And I think I was paid, like, I, I got a meal a week or something for it. Yeah. Uh, Good old days. But, um, <laughs> yeah, eventually... Uh, all the, everybody just started moving to Hoboken. It was kind of amazing. Well, for and a while William, there, for Williamsburg before Williamsburg, and then eventually, you know, the 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 house housing stock got too expensive, and everybody right. kind of wandered off. And Maxwell's closed, but uh, but, it, but it, Maxwell's lasted longer than any of the other rock clubs, you know, in in the New York area. Bottom line, CBGBs, Maxes, Grand Killer Sleeves, even Folk City. Well, the Ritz came back as Webster Hall, so that's true. Yeah, but that's because of the uh, Mercury Lounge people, the Bowie Ballroom. Uh, right. I gotta remind people, Hoboken's just across Hudson River, but it was a lot more econo. But then it got gentrified, and we see yeah. this happen all over the place. But that was yeah. one of the earliest examples, people. Yeah. Yuppies covered in artistic kind of thing, and then sterilizing it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's a book you can buy called, uh, I think it's called Yuppies Invaded My Bedroom. It's all like letters to the editor <laughs> of people like angry at the yuppies who like hung bed sheets instead of uh, curtains, you know, in their windows. <laughs> okay, R- Rage to Live. Th- this is after well, Individuals? The, the Individuals was the band where, you know, I, I kind of toured all, a, a lot around the country and we got on the radio and various things. Um, but yeah, I sort of, I guess I got inspired, you know, the replacements really, you know, came along and really inspired me and just sort of felt like, wow, this is like, huh, I'm not even sure. I mean, they're just so exciting to watch that I, I uh, was, and the writing was so good that I just kind of, you know, I felt like I wanted to move more in that direction more. So I guess just, really being more song, you know, instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, which was what the individuals was about. And, you know, that was a cool thing to do, get four people and try to, you know, just like throw out everything that seemed like a cliche, but, you know, you get, you get hit with that quirky tag then. And, <laughs> <Zany>. uh, <laughs> so I've learned to embrace quirky at this point in my life, but, um, yeah, I just wanted to like write some good songs, you know, and uh, that was more originally was more about either doing covers 
the early version of the band did a bunch of covers going back by the birds and uh my rival by alex chilton and my my car club by the beach boys or our car club we kind of would split it half and half and, and eventually i started writing more and when the individuals broke up, I oh, actually, I actually uh, wrote one of the first books about Michael Jackson and made a bunch of money uh, under the name Gordon Matthews, um, and used that money to record the first uh, Ridge to Live album. Okay, I want to play Deep Blue Sea.
Bye.
Like I'm shining through I see a better life 
Oh, yeah, Deep Blue Sea, Rage to Live. That's an intense name for a band. Mike Cooper after that with Palm and Reef. Uh, Jerome Parker Wells, Policy Vacuum. Hi Maya, Orb Overview. Emmer with Pre and Post. And Glenn Morrow's Cry for Help. Day to Come. Days to Come. What about Bar None? Uh, well, Bar None actually was started by... Uh, Tom Prendergast, who was uh, an Irishman who had come to America and worked as a bartender at Maxwell's initially, and then started the record store Pure Platters with uh, Bill Ryan and Steve Fallon. And then Steve dropped out and it was the two of them. And then at some point, uh, Tom was like, I want to start a record label and we're just going to have the best bar none. And, uh, ah, and he went and put out my first album that I was just finishing. And um, we were up to the races. And, uh, you know, we got we got a video on MTV. And, but I had just gotten married and the band wasn't really, you know, they were all at that point kind of seasoned veteran players. And they, you know, to get them to go out on the road was going to be problematic. And for some reason, I just didn't feel like starting over with a new crew. And I just was like, you know, Tom, sorry we, you put that money into the video, but uh, I'm, I don't think I'm going on the road. But why don't you make me your partner? And I found this other band, and we could work with them. And that band was They Might Be Giants. And that really was the band that, you know, kick-started uh, Bar None in the beginning. And being in a band and running a label, different things? 
Yeah, definitely. And I find now with Glenmore's Cry for Help, like I, you know, I'm actually applying a different label because it's just really hard to, you know, have the businessman hat on, and you know, like what's the hit? You know, <laughs> what's the single? It, it just it's too it's a it's a total uh, just just screws with your head, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I like to keep those things a little bit separate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, people think that you can like just bring things over to other worlds and they just fit, and it, it ain't like that. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I will say, you know, I think I, I've learned something about writing songs over the years, and you know, had had some success. But I think you know, once I got involved with Bar Nine, it was kind of like, all right, you know, I I know. You know, I know how good I am. I'm going to sign people that are better than me. And, you know, it's almost like, yeah, that was the, you know, ground zero. And, and you know, I, I think that was one way I could recognize. Sure, sure, sure. Be in a band. Absolutely. So in a way, there is that crossover, you know. And, yeah, and yeah. I, I think that uh, I have respect for what it takes to actually. What's it called? Empathy. Empathy. Get out there, you know. Yeah. Anyway, we're at the end of the second out. December 3, 2020, this Wap Pedro show. Hope time for our three. December 3, 2020. It's the third hour of the Wap for Pedro show.
Live from Pedro's show, started the third hour off with Enough is Never Enough from Rage to Live. Then uh, Everyday Life, Tragic Comedy, Bronze Age UFO out of Baltimore, Fossa, Toe Punt, Barricade, Troopa Troopa out of Gdansk, Bowling, Angle. And then Glenn Morrow's Cry for Help. They didn't know you. Glenn Morrow's Cry for Help. That's the current prod, right? That is. Let's, let's hear about it. Well, uh... The band A that I had, when, when Maxwell's was closing, uh, Todd Abramson, who was uh, booking the club for like the last 10, 12 years, I guess, you know, and finally felt like he just couldn't keep it going, you know, was trying to figure out how to sort of end the whole shebang. And I said, well, why don't, you, why don't we get A back together and to play, we can be the 
last Vander play. So the final night of Maxwell's uh, was A, the bongos and the individuals. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a crazy night. Everybody came back to Maxwell's and they closed the street and they had DJs out on the street and uh, it was a lot of hoopla. And coming out of that, I was, you know, re-energized. I had sort of, I kept writing the whole time, but without any real purpose, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I got a tour, or, oh, I got to get this next an album, you know, got, I, I kind of lost that thread. But after that experience, I just, it was like the song portal really opened in my brain and uh, these things were just kind of writing themselves. And uh, I just found myself really inspired. And uh, and then I thought, I gotta, I gotta put a band together. So it was basically the first three guys that agreed to uh, be in the band. Mike Rosenberg, a bass player who uh, actually worked the door at Maxwell's and um, was a longtime friend from the scene. And Rick Sherman, who but had been in wedding bands prior to that and is just like a phenomenal player. His son's a, a great jazz drummer uh, who plays around New York. And um, you know, he's, we had played a few times just in my living room for fun. And it's like, wow, you can really play. And, and he, he had never really been in a band playing original music. So he was kind of curious what that would be like. And then Ron Metz who was in the Human Switchboard, who were one of the many bands that were kind of part of the Hoboken scene, lived in Hoboken. And um, although I think they were originally Ohio, Ohio, originally. Yeah, you, uh, yeah. They moved to Hoboken. One of the guys turned into an A and R man. But uh, what was the first uh, cry for help gig? It was it was that one there at Maxwell's, right? No, no, we didn't. We didn't play that. We didn't. We didn't oh no, the gig was point. instrumental in exciting um, you to put but, together you know, this. I'm band. trying to remember. We we played just we're, all kinds of. Well, we played all. All over New Jersey and in New York. Uh, what was the first gig? Maybe uh, pianos. Okay. <laughs> and where did you record uh, this oh, out? Oh, we played. Uh, did, did you work with Bob Singerman? Ever? Sure. Sure. Um, we played Bob Singerman's birthday party. That was the first gig. It was just a. We just played three songs. And where did you record this album? Uh, we recorded it in Montclair, New Jersey, with Ray Ketchum at the magic door and he had recorded he's recorded a lot of different records for bar none over the years different artists and uh he's in a band called elk city that we've put some records out by and uh, actually he does all the guided by voices stuff now whoa and how long did it take you to do you know it was that kind of thing where it'd be like you get in for a little while and then he'd get booked up and uh I don't even know if you have this song, but uh, I'll make sure you get it. You know, we basically, the record was done in January and we were about to release it, when, you know, but then because of the pandemic, we sure. just sort of sat on it. And next thing you know, it's like the whole year has gone by. And it really is a record that was made, you know, over the last four years, you know. The, on and off, yeah. Of the, you know, the, the Trump administration, just, just the, a lot of the issues that, 
came up came up because of that you know are, are kind of reflected in the songs in different ways <laughs> and i just felt like i gotta get this out you know by the end of the year i just sure. like, want this out of my life and you know i want to march on to something else so but i i recorded uh or i'd written a song and i i went in with with uh rick the guitar player it's called whistling boy and uh it was kind of you know I, I, I listened to a lot of jazz and did a lot of like, you know, music theorizing and stuff for the last 11 months. I thought, all right, I got to have something that you know, reflects some, some whatever. And we came, we went in and we recorded like three and a half hours from, you know, the whole thing. And uh, that was kind of a, you know, I just felt like just, okay, here's a way forward, you know. You didn't send it to me, so you have to. The one I okay. want to play right now, it says Stamey Single Mix. So I guess Chris Stamey from the DBs? Yeah. Other side yeah. of the dream. Let me play that. Summer of steam 
Pom-pom. Pom-pom-pom. Thank <laughs> you. 
Schwamm.
Well, for Pedro Show, last music for this edition, Other Side of the Dream, the Chris Stamey single mix. That label boss looking for that single. <laughs> Glenn Morrow's Cry for Help. That's a great name. Where'd you come up with that fucking name? <laughs> uh, Mike, the bass player, came up, you know, just blurted that out, and everybody laughed. And yeah. I said, all right, I'll, I'll take one for the team. Yeah, and, you uh, take yeah, it. It always, gets that, it always gets that reaction. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, big green suitcase from Lewis Cole. Then uh, Shearsmith and Stuttgart with strings from Zenocratic AMM All Stars with Wide Aboard. They invited me. Finally, watch it burn. Grand Morrow's Cry for Help. Where can people find you on the internet? Ah, well, I got a, uh, I got my own personal Instagram account with which is. Uh, like a camera too, and not like the Leica 
camera, but I like like, <laughs> like a version, but like a camera too. But you don't have a Glenn Morrow website. And there's a Glenn Morrow. Yeah, I don't know. This is all that stuff. We got all that stuff. I think. I think it's important to have your own page. <laughs> yeah, but that stuff is superfluous. What to me is important is have your own personal website because there's yeah, no filter, yeah. no filter. Yeah, we got one. We got yeah. one. Great. So is it G L is it G L E N N M O R R O W dot com? I think so. Okay. If not, use the search I'll engine. I'll look it up people. right now if you want. I can look it up on the internet. I can Google it. Uh, Ian McKay would say you're going to use a search engine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no brand in here. No shill. No shill for the brand. <laughs> uh, and and. Well, you got this out of your system. You said, yeah, because of the last four years, you wanted this out of your system. Are you writing stuff for a new record? I, I, I feel like I, I, I mean, I'm, yeah, I've been writing a lot of stuff. I'm kind of trying to think of it uh, like a new way to, like I said, I've been listening to a lot, a lot of, you know, just like, you know, stuff like Coltrane and Thelonious Monk and that kind of, you know, just sort of classic jazz stuff and kind of, letting that all work its worm its way through my brain. But at the same time, I'm trying to maybe write simpler songs. So it's like, you know, I don't know, I'm playing with those two ideas. Like how do you uh, keep it really simple and almost uh, um, like mantras or something, you know, but with, with the jazz overlay, you know? Well, like that theme in A Love Supreme, that's such an elegant, you right. know, yeah. Yeah, and the Stooges, I think, you know, that was sort of their thing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. The bass lines are like, wow. Yeah. And sometimes, like, for for example, you know, I did 125 months with those cats, and they, they enlightened me to the fact that Little Doll, that bass line comes from Pharaoh Sanders, Upper Egypt, Lower Egypt, because they were listening to all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So what about advice? Because you've been a long time, what's 25 years now for Bar None? Uh, 35. 35. Yeah, fucking what? <laughs> <laughs> so so you could probably give some, somebody a little advice. I, I know things have changed, so, you know, but still. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing how, you know, it just keeps changing. It's just, and if you get into like, you know, like, like uh, hip hop guys that are like, you know, selling beats on YouTube and, you know, it, it just... There's just like business models that you know <laughs> that are just just wild. Um, you know, yeah, it, it, certain things have faded away, but you know, vinyl still seems to be something that has them for, and uh, streaming as much as everybody complains about it. You know, if you if you have enthusiastic fans, you're going to make money from streaming. What about Bandcamp? Uh, you know, if you get licensing still, you know, we just had like the uh, the Feelies just got a like a a Gucci Gucci ad. <laughs> what, 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 made what, this movie. Today's the first to, Friday, Glenn. And what do you think about Bandcamp? Because first Fridays of the month, right? They give all the money yeah, to artists. Bandcamp. I mean, that's like the pandemic success story. You know, suddenly this this thing that was, you know, I mean, we were aware of it and we were just starting to maybe put stuff up as bar none on Bandcamp. But then, you know, the whole pandemic, people really embraced it and started using it as a way to funnel money to artists. And uh, uh, 
that's been a real success. That's great. Look, when you get this new trippy record that's going to be simple and also <laughs> like Thelonious Monk and John Coltrane, will you come back on the show so we can talk about absolutely, it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man. Big honor for me, Glenn. Thank you hey, so much. Really. I, I, I really appreciate you having me on. Okay. People, it's been December 3rd, 2020 edition of Watt Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.